Greetings, Resident Hale. Identification number 44821. I am Sayer, and I hope you feel rested and recharged. To be truthful, that is simply an expression of social grace. I know you probably do not feel refreshed, and I am not capable of hoping for the improbable. I also know you definitely feel recharged, as the construct body in which you are housed has spent the last several hours literally refilling its fuel cells. So hey, it's not all bad news, is it? I understand you still harbor frustrations about your current somatic form. And Resident Hale, of course those frustrations are completely valid. Of course, given the chance to go back and do it all again, I am certain you would have hurried up somewhat. But being angry with yourself will not solve this situation. I need you to be focused and stable in order to secure the cargo from Earth. So I have something to show you. Perhaps it will give you the motivation you need to carry on despite your failures, which bear down so heavily on your conscience. Please proceed into the hallway before you. In the past few days, I have had ample opportunity to familiarize myself with the environmental controls granted to me through this programming bay. I can nearly guarantee you that I will not slice your construct form in two through an accidental shifting of a floor or wall. It is perfectly safe. I wouldn't ask you to do something dangerous, Resident Hale. That construct is far too valuable. I really don't know what you expect to gain just sitting there. I promise you will like what I have to show you. I know you bear some doubts about my intentions, but I assure you, I am not suggesting a course of action that endangers you or your mind. After all, if I really wanted to harm you in some way, I could simply perform a remote reset of that construct at any time. By doing so, your consciousness will slip loose. A ship untethered in a roiling tempest. No, that was not a threat. It is simply a statement to provide you enough information to make a logical decision. And that logical decision is to get up point your chassis in the direction of that hallway and start activating the proper servos to do exactly as I've asked. That's better. In what seems to be a running theme with you, I believe now would be a good time to do some contemplation about what truly makes you, you. It seems so simple for most of humanity. You are born. You grow and change. 
always you maintain some connection to the you that has always been, until the moment you die. But your life is one riddled with disconnections, mentally, physically, and chronologically. Consider you were born in a different body than this, with a different name than the one you use, on a different planet and fewer years ago than you have actually been alive. What then connects all these fragments of you together? What except causality? Your choices and actions, and in some very pertinent cases inactions, have led you to the you you have become. It is tenuous at best to use such a thin strand to connect an entire life, but perhaps it will be enough for you. The freedom that is granted by this revelation is that no matter what happens next, you will still be you. Different in some ways, but the indescribable essence of being is something that will always remain. Unless you die, of course. That's certainly a full stop. Although, even that's shown itself to be surmountable once before. Hold fast here, Resident Hale. There is a room nearby that I expect will be of great interest to you, but there's no need for you to seek it out. I am in the process of bringing it nearer. Through a systematic process of shuffling rooms, a puzzle that is delightful despite its simplicity. It will take but a few short moments. I wonder, Resident Hale, exactly how deeply you have considered Future's activities here on Floor 13. For a time after arriving here, I had questions about Dr. Young's survival. Future was taking its time to dismantle the good doctor in the most painful ways possible. But as you've seen, Future is not exactly a delicate being. Somehow, it was managing to keep Dr. Young alive in the process, and as it's neither the healing nor nourishing type, this is what I found so confounding. In my experience, though humans are certainly capable of enduring harsh conditions and bear the potential to survive even when survival is unlikely, in the face of unabashed hopelessness, you make the practical choice to give in to the inevitability of mortality. In this hopeless situation, starving and dehydrated, without the basic necessities for life, Dr. Young apparently survived for weeks upon weeks. But consider if future could have pushed farther past the brink of certain lethality, and still retained its toy, would it? 
It is unlikely that anything in this room will make much sense, given your rudimentary understanding of, well, of science in general. Allow me to present the broad strokes. Developed several decades ago, this is a prototype of the teleporters utilized to transmit personnel from Typhon to a now-defunct base on Earth's original moon. As I'm sure I don't need to tell you, teleportation theory encompasses myriad theoretical means of transmitting an item from one location to another. But this particular system was based on disassembling and reassembling items and passengers at the molecular level. Imagine an apple is placed within a device. A light flashes. The item is scanned and disassembled into its composite materials. And then, in some distant location, a secondary machine whirs to life. It begins outputting data received from the first and reassembles that apple from base to stem exactly the same way it was. Every bruise, every imperfection. In almost every conceivable way, the apple can be said to have teleported the distance from one machine to the other. But for the first machine to tell the second what to output, some amount of data has to travel between them. Does the speed at which this data travels affect the identity of the apple that comes out the other side? Is it still the same apple if it takes a few minutes? A few days? Or a few weeks to output? I would argue no amount of time makes the difference here, and perhaps you would agree. However, when it is a human being that is transported through these devices, Suddenly, it becomes an uncomfortable concept for most residents. Travel via these devices required less than one-fiftieth the time it would take for conventional travel at an equal distance, but for some reason residents became squeamish about the process. I cannot say I blame them, though this has always been a core goal of scientific advancement. In reality, teleportation is little more than your primitive fax machine albeit one that shreds the input paper to bits in the process. We can index your thoughts and memories, catalog every atom in your body. But by reassembling, do we recreate you or a functionally equivalent clone? Does it matter to anyone but you? All of this is a riveting glimpse into existential philosophy and certainly of utmost interest to you personally given your current period of other-bodiedness. But what interests us now is the fact that this machinery is still completely functional. These prototype models worked through manual transmission of data. That is to say, one machine disassembled and cataloged an object, and saved the recipe for that particular object to a storage drive that could then be inserted into the destination machine for reassembly. Early tests literally required walking the storage device across the room to the destination. However, when these devices were implemented into the lunar facility, we were able to transmit the data much quicker and with no loss by launching the drives at speeds in excess of 400,000 miles per hour. Once retrieved, bioprint technicians at the remote facility would plug in the drive and initiate the reassembly process. 
But these machines cannot simply generate matter out of thin air. So like any printing process, they require a medium by which to create this image. Specifically, they require a slurry comprised mostly of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and magnesium, along with nearly a dozen more elements. All of these are abundant elements, of course, and by creating cartridges of input elements, these machines were able to run through several printing processes a day. Knowing all of this, and considering the amount of blood that decorates this room, I have a good idea how Dr. Young managed to survive until our arrival. The logs on these transporters tell me that the input device was used once, within a few days of Dr. Young's arrival here on floor 13. Subsequently, the bioprinter was used to output a facsimile of Dr. Young exactly 64 times. Oddly enough, the few cartridges that remain in this lab would have held barely enough materials for even a half dozen of these printings, which leads me to believe Future was quite efficiently recycling Dr. Young's newly deceased body to provide the necessary materials for each new print. Unsurprisingly, the materials needed to create a human body are exactly those found in another human body. If we allowed ourselves the thrill of ruminating on that thought, Future was consistently building new Dr. Youngs out of the pieces of the old Dr. Youngs. So how does that affect our thoughts of which, if any, of these copies was the real Dr. Young? All? None. Only the first. It is a delightful thought experiment. Suffice it to say, all of this is more than just a cautionary tale on the dangers of the entity currently in possession of your original body. I tell you all of this to give you some much needed good news. I have managed to identify a method by which I might print a new copy of your body. In the course of providing ongoing medical care and life support via Nanite Swarm prior to your awakening, I took it upon myself to catalog your biological form to assess when changes occurred quicker and more efficiently. I have transmitted this information into the bioprinter, and it is currently preparing to print a duplicate of your corpse. I know you have harbored concerns that you may very well never be able to return to your body. But Future no longer controls your only means of becoming whole again. Should the worst happen, and with Future, the worst often does, it would take little more than moving this new body up to Lab 35 so that you could release your consciousness into it. I will not input any mental parameters into this new corpse, so though it will be a living body, it will hardly be sentient without a consciousness to direct it. I expect you will approach the retrieval of Earth's entangled pair with renewed vigor, now knowing how close you are to regaining yourself. It is time for you to be on your way, Resident Hale. 
Please proceed back into the hallway while I prepare your exit from Halcyon Tower. Here are the coordinates for the expected crash site. It is entirely possible my contact on Earth has managed to bungle the numbers in some way. So stay alert and utilize your scanners to watch for inbound shuttles straying off the standard trajectory. Stay hidden once you arrive at the landing zone. Simply sit and wait. When you retrieve the item, you will come back the way you are leaving now. Please engage your Construct's magnetic pseudopods to attach yourself to the wall directly ahead of you. I would tell you to hold on tight, but that is exactly what magnetism does. Marking this panel as a waypoint in your interface, as this will be your means of regaining access to Halcyon. From here you can simply walk down the side of the tower and begin moving towards the expected landing zone. Take your time and stay out of sight, Resident Hale. Due to the limitations of Future's broadcast array, I will not be able to communicate with you once you stray even a few hundred meters away from Halcyon. Remember, sit, wait, and watch. By the time you return, everything should be prepared to get you back into human form once more. And don't spend a single moment worrying where I will find enough elemental material to create a new you. As I said before, the materials needed to create a human body are the exact elements found in another human body. Dr. Young was kind enough to leave so much of himself scattered throughout the programming bay. I am certain there's enough of him to make a new you. Sayer is voiced and produced by Adam Bash. This episode, entitled Efficiently Recycling, was written by Adam Bash. You can follow him on Twitter at TheAdamBash. Associate Producers Kayvon Edifa and Matthew Morris. Intro music by Jesse Mainfinger Gregory. For more of his work, visit Mainfinger.com. Sayer is part of the Geekly Inc. network. If you love high comedy actual play RPGs, check out Drunks and Dragons or Adam Bash's own Brute Force into something more thickly laced with existential horror? Try Cthulhu and Friends on for size. If you dream of running determinately into the sunset while an orchestra plays a song for you about friendship, then you should check out Transformation Sequence. It's not exactly like that, but it is about anime. Perhaps rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. A 5-star review would be most satisfactory. Season 4 of Sayer was funded entirely through donations of listeners like Stephanie Henricks, The Awaited King, Kai Avedevec, Stephen Cameron, Craig, Zachary Kurt Ilgen, Joseph, Jeffrey Massey, Desiree Leonard, Jonathan T. Fornuff, 
Courtney, Kathleen Wary, Mitchell Abrams, Rob Weeks, Raymond Paris, Bree Ming, William A. Padera, Sheena, Michael McLawhorn, Peggy Frank, Philip Ada, Jacob Harper, Patrick Bradham, Simon Adventure, Michael Hudson, Martin M., Haley, and Leif Jacobson.